and Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedegatian type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. My name is Kevin Fryert. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold. Welcome back to Raising Rare. This week, we are going to hear the rest of the story from Terry and Billy Ellsworth. Last time, we had just heard that 10-year-old Billy was eligible for a clinical study of a breakthrough exon skipping treatment for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So you found out about the clinical trial. You've, you've gone through and started to, to get him enrolled. What happened during the clinical trial? And then more importantly, what happened after the clinical trial? So, you know, we traveled weekly to Columbus for a year and we were the closest family, just three hours away. So we drove every week, spent a night and came back. So, you know, it was an interruption uh, for really all of our lives. You know, Billy missed one day of school per week, did homework up there like the other boys did. We, I think the best part of the clinical trial, other than the drug finally receiving approval, is that you form bonds with the other trial families, really for a lifetime. It's been 10 years. Uh, Billy's now on the treatment. He's in his 10th year. So 2011, we met these other families, and a lot of us still keep in touch. And it's really a bond of a lifetime and a very special bond and connection mm -hmm. uh, because of what we've all gone through and what the boys have sacrificed all in the name of science. So we traveled for a year. Uh, then uh, they trained our, the local hospitals of where each patient was from. And so then the boys uh, you know, started receiving the treatment still experimental for the next four and a half years until we went to the FDA to, you know, seek approval. And, you know, Billy and I both testified in front of the FDA as well as the other patients. Hey, Billy, actually, I'm, I'm very curious from, from your standpoint, what do you remember about this, uh, about this study and about being in the study? So I remember first is, well, I don't remember the date exactly, but I remember my mom came home from work one day and told me about, like, there was this clinical trial that I was going to take part in and that we would go to Columbus every week. And I remember going up there like every week. I remember meeting like the different people and boys. The nurses were very nice there too, very helpful. And another thing I remember, I remember the, well, those were the good memories. One bad memory I remember. I mean, not bad necessarily bad for me though. I had to go through four biopsies, but I remember the first one I was told about. And I was 10 years old at the time, so. It was scary to me. So I was like, like when I was told about it, I, I'm going to be honest, I cried. I mean, it's going to be scary to a kid, like telling you you're going to go through a surgery. It's like, are you supposed to react? Wow. Yeah. The final one, I almost didn't because there was a choice, like you could do it or not. Like, and I was planning on not like opting out, 
but eventually I had some time to think and then eventually, eventually, yeah, I, um, I went through with it. But it was just like such that. a limited enrollment and this was like a chance of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. But you had say so, of course, in that because you had to sign off on the consents if you remember that. Yeah, I remember. at age ten. I can I can relate. I can partially relate to it, Billy, because you know my son got a biopsy and I was sitting there holding him. I just couldn't tell him what was going on. He was he was one and a half. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't understand. I, I couldn't tell him. I really wished I could because he was sitting there and screaming while they were getting his biopsy and. I wish I could tell him that this is for your good. This is for for us to get a treatment for you. But I'm glad I'm glad you were able to understand what was going on at least to some degree. So you were in the trial for five and a half years, and during that during the trial, you got infusions each week, six hours, <laughs> uh, because the infusion was an hour, and there were it, there was a four hour observation period. You know, checking to make sure the boys were okay and side effects and so on. Now it's down to two hours. Infusions are really quick. You know, they sped up the volume of the drug and we have like a five minute observation. What, Billy, what did you do during the time when you were just being infused? First I did homework, but then when I wasn't doing homework, the hospital had a Nintendo Wii. So me and the few of the boys would play that sometimes. Or I would just talk to the other boys and hang out. Now we did crafts sometimes too. Oh, wow. So it became kind of a little fraternity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The boys all hung out together. Parents would hang out while the boys were in PT. So, yeah, you know, we have some very special memories. I want to get to your story, Billy. And I'd like you to tell me about Billy without mentioning Duchenne. Okay. So to mention me about Duchenne, I would say, well, basically I try to like, most of the time I try to live my life like I would if I didn't have Duchenne. Oh, and I mentioned it, my bad. (laughs) Yeah, I just try to live out like it's not there, basically. And so what do you like to do? So I guess a hobby. I mean, I don't know if my mom considers it a hobby. I do. I build Legos sometimes. I know I yeah, that would be a hobby, actually. Like my mom said, I did I do well like when I was a kid, she said I was in the well the preschool said I yeah, preschool said I was in the puzzles. I I mean not all the time, but the last time I did a puzzle was like around Christmas time, I think. So I do puzzles on an occasion. Um, like jigsaw puzzles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Video. Yeah, video games. That's another thing I like to do in my spare time. What video games do you play? Recently, I've been playing like Minecraft, stuff like that. I also play racing games, too. Oh, those I like. Yeah, they're fun. Because I'm a car person in real life. Like I like going to classic car shows, too. Oh, yeah? What's your favorite classic car? Say a Mustang. And I know you're taking some college courses, Billy. Um, what do you want to study once you get through the basic stuff? Well, right now, that, that is what I'm doing. I'm doing my general studies until I have an idea. But something I might be interested in, I don't know for sure, but maybe something like involved with animals. Because I, I like animals. I'm an animal person also. You asked me what, 
if I had a dog last time we talked. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, animal, you know, there's a lot there. There's a there's veterinary work. There's you know um, zoology. There's mm-hmm. there's just a lot of things you can do. There's scientific work. Um, I think it's it's kind of cool and it's so important to find something that you're interested in. A while back, when I was still in high school, I had the opportunity to participate in a zoo apprenticeship at our, at the Pittsburgh Zoo. Oh, so wow. Yeah, they showed us like the enclosures and like how they feed the animals. I asked you to, to describe yourself without Duchenne. And when you did that, it's kind of like, you know, you're like a lot of other 20 year olds I know. You're trying to figure out what do I want to do with life? These are, you know, I'm learning new things. I've, you know, I'm not in high school anymore. I'm in college. There's different opportunities, different things I like to do. But you do have Duchenne. Let's talk about that a little bit. What are your first memories about about having the condition? When did you really become aware of it? I kind of started, I mean, at preschool, I didn't really know 100%, but I kind of realized something was up. It's like my mom said, at that age, I liked playgrounds. So when preschool, they'd have us outside almost every day. If it wasn't raining, I would realize like if I was running on the playground, kids were like way faster than me. And like climbing, kids did it with no issues at all. But I was like pretty slow at climbing. And I noticed like as a kid, I was like, what's going on? And when do you think you actually you know, kind of realized what it was. Um, was it about the same time your parents got the diagnosis or was it a little bit after that, that when you were asking more questions? Well, the diagnosis, when I was diagnosed, I don't think, well, they told me some things, but as much as I could understand at that age. But I think I fully started to understand, like once I started my trial and I understood what was going on, I think it was then, because that's when I started asking a lot of questions. It's real then because you're you're being asked to participate in something and it's more than just going to the doctor. And you were about 10 years old. So that's about when us humans around 10 years old, we start to, our brain starts to work differently. We start to notice things and ask questions and really want the answers. It doesn't surprise me that's about when you, you know, started to become aware. How has this drug changed your life? Okay, to start off, I know this is an obvious answer, but it's kept me walking longer than I should be because I'm, like my mom said, well, I say 20, I don't count the half. So for 20, yeah, I'm still walking. I'm, earlier this morning, I was able to dress myself, um, eat myself, and I mean, eat breakfast, I meant, feed myself, is what I meant to say. <laughs> and yeah, like, I can do all that. Oh, yeah, getting to bed myself. Climbing stairs is the only issue. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. And it's one of those things where, I guess, like, as you get older, Billy, you probably start to appreciate how how amazing this 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 is uh, i'm sure you already do appreciate it at this point given given how much you you and your mom have been advocating for for the disease and for treatments i have how how has how has that changed your outlook in general because you know me and my wife keep talking about this as as like you know having immense gratitude towards life because we are in this journey that 
uh, they just taught us the importance of life and importance of every single day. And I'm I'm curious from your perspective, Willie, like how has this changed your outlook or, or given you an outlook of, of life that um, I guess is, is similar or different to, 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 to others? I guess what I think about is first, like I realize I could have been a lot worse off in life, but that's, I think that's what makes me thankful that I'm not doing as bad as everyone else. Because I'm going to be honest, sometimes I complain about going to the hospital, even though I shouldn't. And then I think to myself, I'm like, yes, I, I should be like, not as, like I could be in a different situation, my point, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand that. Completely understand that. It, I'm, I'm super glad and, and super thankful that you're in this situation right now. I know, Terry, you've been a professional patient advocate for quite a while. Um, we met at a conference, actually. That's where I met Billy, too. But you mm. guys are starting to do some new things. Um, can you tell us what you're doing and how you're going to go forward with it, how, how Billy's involved in it, too? Well, um, yeah, and I never, if somebody would have told me, you know, 15 years ago that you and Billy are going to be known everywhere and around the world, I would have told, and you know, front front and center, I would have told them they were crazy because it certainly wasn't the plan. But as I tell people, it my advocacy really happened organically. And, you know, truly that's the best way I can describe it. Never planned on it. Never imagined, didn't know what clinical trial life would be. But one thing led to another and things escalated. And, you know, we had, we sought you know, regulatory approval, and that was drama all on its own. That I think it's probably then that I really went fast forward. And because we were fighting, fighting for our, our kids' lives. I mean, I can speak for myself. And I thought, you know what, I'll be darned everything that he went through, if I wasn't going to see this through. And we were very close to not getting approval. I mean, it was pretty grim, as everyone knows. But I thought, you know, if it doesn't get approved, I knew I could look my son in the eyes, and I've told him this. I knew I could look him in the eyes and tell him that I did everything I could in my power as a mom as and an advocate. There was really nothing else I could have done. I mean, I went to the commissioner of the FBI uh, at the time, Robert Calla, because of, of different events that happened there. Uh, I thought, fine, I'll, I'll go to the top. I'll do what I need to do. because, And that's all I, you know, I did everything everything in my power. I wrote a letter and sent it to every office on Capitol Hill, you know, played detective, got a hold of the emails. I mean, there are 535 emails and I started getting responses back. And then that's when I knew I did the right thing. I knew I did the right thing anyway, because if we don't do it, uh, if we don't advocate, if we don't use our voice, our right, our privilege to, to do that, you know, a lot of things can be accomplished. Um, and when Billy and I do some speaking, uh, and we haven't in a while due to the current situation, but when we spoke at his high school, it was a week after the drug got approved. Uh, and this, this speaking, it was like a pep rally for the homecoming. We didn't know the drug was going to you know, get approved the week before. But I said to the thousands in attendance, the student body, you know, who do you know what an advocate is? And I said, find something that you're passionate about. And I said, and use your voice because we're living proof that your voice matters and you can be effective. I said, but two 
pieces of advice, be respectful and be pragmatic. And, you know, I would do it all over again. And, and that's why I still advocate. I don't have to do a thing. My son is on the drug, but I truly feel, I feel obligated to help more. So Billy, what about you in advocacy? How do you feel about this idea of, you know, getting on stage and speaking with your mom? I mean, I do do some talking, but I think it's, my mom does more of the talking for advocacy. I um, advocate when needed though. You don't have to work at being an advocate. You bring a humor, you bring your needle in your mom all the time. You're, you're there. And you said it before and you brought sound at the tears. I'm here, aren't I? Yeah. It's very powerful advocacy. I'm going to ask one last question. And I want Billy to go first on this. If you could leave listeners with one piece of advice, and I, Billy, maybe think of other kids that find themselves with a rare condition, what would your advice be? Don't give up. Just keep going, even though if it seems tough. Just keep up the fight. Perseverance is my main thing, I say. Like, keep the perseverance. Excellent. And what about you, Terry? What would you tell parents out there? Just don't give up the hope. And, you know, some may feel it's hopeless. And, you know, I have, I was part of a focus group several years ago at a conference. It was for moms. And we were going going through all types of exercising, like empowering exercises. And we had to jot something on a post-it note. Mine was, um, I'm not helpless and it's not hopeless. And I just really fervently believe in that. Um, uh, nobody is helpless. I mean, do what you can, even no matter what it is, not everybody. You know, I've had moms reach out to me and say, you know, Duchenne moms, thanks for doing what you do. And I'm happy to help, uh, you know, parents who still reach out to me or, you know, other rare diseases or like Sonneth, you know, learned, learned about him. And um, I, I have a feeling we're going to keep in touch. Thank you so much for that advice. Um, it's truly inspiring to be speaking to you and, and Billy today. And I'm so glad we got connected uh, through this medium, but I'll, I'll definitely stay in touch. Good luck to everything that you're doing, man. Good luck to you as well. So nice um, talking with you and, and feel free to reach out at any time. And I, I truly mean that. Absolutely. I'm so, I'm so glad I got to meet you. And Fantastic. Well, I just want to thank both of you for spending the time sharing your story. Thank you, Kevin. Yep. Thank you for having us. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment and cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. You can continue to follow Raga's story next time on Raising Rare. Raising Rare.